Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers is a Christian apologetics ministry led by Dr. Pat Zucran. Pat provides compelling messages from top apologetic scholars defending the Christian worldview and provides valuable resources for every person seeking answers to life's questions, as well as addressing key issues of our time. Serving to equip Christians who want to effectively engage their world for Christ is our focus. The problem of evil and suffering poses a challenge not only for Christianity, but all religions and philosophies. Among all the worldviews, Pat Zugrin believes Christianity offers the most reasonable answers to the problem of evil and suffering. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zugrin. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat will be sharing a question of the week. Our focus will be how can God allow evil and suffering? Now, Here's Pat with part two of this broadcast. Welcome here, and this is with Honolulu Christian Church and Evidence and Answers. In last week's edition, we talked about God and the problem of evil. And basically the question was, if God is all-perfect and all-powerful, how did evil arise in this world? And we talked about God is all-powerful and all-wise and a loving being and created creatures who can do the greatest good, which is to love and enter into a love relationship with Him. And that requires free will. And in freedom, freedom is not evil. But in freedom, there is the potential to do otherwise, which would be evil. And Adam and Eve misused their freedom and disobeyed God. And that's how evil and suffering entered into the world. And we've been suffering the consequences ever since. Now, I said Christianity provides the best, most reasonable answer to the problem of evil and suffering, and really the only message of hope. And I said it provides the only reasonable answer because it acknowledges that there is a God and acknowledges the reality of evil. Atheism does not acknowledge the existence of God, but atheism's problem is this. How do you define evil? You can't say something is objectively evil unless there's an absolute universal unchanging moral standard of good by which you are measuring by and the question is where did that absolute standard come from so atheism runs in a problem in how do you actually define good and evil without God it's basically just opinions pantheism runs into a problem as well religions based on the pantheistic worldview like Hinduism Buddhism Taoism and others because either you're gonna to have to say that this world is an illusion as in Hinduism it is the dream of Brahman this world is an illusion then ultimately evil is an illusion and really no one can take a philosophy or religious position that says evil is simply an illusion or you're gonna to have to say if all is one right if everything in the universe is one then good and evil then are resident in the very character of God or Brahman or the one so that poses a problem as well Whereas in Christianity, we acknowledge the existence of God and the reality of evil. And so therefore, the Bible can provide the most reasonable answer to the problem of good and evil. And I said Christianity provides the best message of hope. What message of hope does the atheist or naturalist worldview offer in the midst of a world filled with evil and suffering? Well, that's a real tough one, right? You're just a product of chance. 
you're an accident, you're a cosmic accident. The universe exploded into being out of nothing uh, by chance. It's, it's just an accident. There's really no ultimate purpose for the existence of the universe. The universe we know is running out of energy. As it expands, it runs out of energy and it's going to reach a state of final entropy where it runs out of energy and all things come to an end. But also, our planet, our solar system will come to an end and you and I will come to an end. And so really, our life ultimately has no ultimate meaning, significance, or purpose. We're here by accident with no intended purpose. Our suffering then ultimately has no meaning or purpose. We suffer in a meaningless existence and we become extinct or annihilated forever and ever and ever. So that's really not a great message of hope in the midst of evil or suffering or any kind of meaningful answer to the problem of our existence here. Well, what about pantheism? Pantheism teaches the doctrine of reincarnation, that in this life you attain good and bad karma and you're continually reincarnated for millions of years, thousands upon thousands of reincarnations over and over and over again to come back into this world and face this world of suffering to suffer again and again and again and again and again infinite until you reach the state of enlightenment and you become one with the one with the cosmic energy of the universe one with Brahman one with the force or whatever it may be that you will no longer exist as an individual person but you are absorbed into the one all right, well, that's the message of hope of the pantheistic worldview or the pantheistic religion. Yeah, so I believe Christianity offers the most reasonable answer and really the only message of hope and meaning in the midst of a world in which we encounter evil and suffering that no other religion or worldview can offer. Now, the question that we're addressing today really follows up on the first question, and that's this. If God is all-powerful and loving, why doesn't he destroy evil now? Why does he allow evil to continue and to persist? And the basic argument goes like this, all right? In one form or another, this is really the basic form of the argument. It goes like this. Premise one, if God is all good, he would defeat evil. He would want to defeat evil. Second, if God is all powerful, he could defeat evil. But premise three, but evil is not defeated. Therefore, we conclude no such God exists. All right, and that's the basic form of the argument here. Well, seems like a very formidable argument. It's a very challenging argument that you hear this argument in one form or another. Whenever I have had discussions with atheists, usually this is the argument that's brought up. The flaw in this argument is really premise three. All right, premise one is God is all good. He would want to defeat evil. Premise two, if God is all-powerful, he could defeat evil. Premise three, but evil is not defeated, therefore no such God exists. Premise three is the one that I said is flawed, all right? That evil is not defeated. Really what the objector is saying is this, evil is not defeated, meaning evil is not defeated and will not ever be defeated. And you see, there's really no way for the objector to know this, all right? As the Bible teaches, evil will one day be defeated. When evil runs its course, right? God allows all things to run their course, even evil. God will allow evil to run its course. When it has fulfilled its purpose, then God will bring it to an end, all right? And all good God 
promises to do that, an all-powerful God can do that, and indeed will do that at His appointed time. And how will God defeat evil? Well, He will separate good from evil forever. We see that in passages like Matthew chapter 25, where He separates the sheep from the goats, separating the righteous from the unrighteous forever. Quarantining evil forever separate from his intimate presence in a place of quarantine called hell. And that's essentially what hell is. It's being separated from God forever and ever. So he will punish evil and reward the righteous or reward good. And he will defeat death and Satan and evil once and for all. We know that is coming because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says that in Colossians 2, that there upon the cross he rendered the forces of evil and sin powerless. So he officially defeated evil on the cross in his first coming. Now the actual ultimate defeat of evil will occur at his second coming. Right? But it has been officially defeated there upon the cross. With his resurrection, he conquered the forces of evil and sin. And now we just await its ultimate culmination, the actual defeat of evil when the world is restored and suffering comes to an end at his second coming. And we know that's going to happen because it has been officially defeated at the resurrection. Uh, illustration uh, goes like this. During World War II, the Allies planned the largest land invasion of Europe in the history of the world. It was called D-Day, in which the Allied forces landed tens of thousands of Allied troops on the shores of France. And we didn't know if D-Day would be successful, but on that day there was a fog that seemed to cover the shores there that hindered really the German army from seeing uh, the boats uh, way off in the distance. And as they came closer, they still weren't able to see them. And then they launched their massive assault. And D-Day was a massive success, all right? And when D-Day was accomplished, we knew we were going to win the war, all right? We knew that once the Allies had made it on the shores of France, we were going to push the Germans back, and we knew that victory was inevitable, all right? So between D-Day and V-Day, the troops were called to press forward. Now, our D-Day has come. All right, our D-Day has come on the cross when Christ died for sin and rose again. That was our D-Day, right? the official defeat of evil. And we know that V-Day is soon to come. But between that time, we are called to press on. So God has not yet defeated evil, all right? but one day at his appointed time, he will bring all things to an end. Well, the question is this then. What is God waiting for? What is he waiting for? Why doesn't he judge evil now? Great question. And Peter addresses that in his book of Second Peter. Peter says that God is patient, not wanting any to be separated from him. He desires for many more to be saved, and he's patiently waiting for many more to be saved before he comes to judge evil. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so God is patiently waiting, 
and still allowing people to come to a saving knowledge of his son Jesus Christ all right and so God delaying his judgment is actually an act of love and grace upon us I mean think about it I'm glad God did not judge the world back in 1980 when he very well could have because if he did I would be in hell separated from God forever because I didn't come to know Christ uh, till a few years later but if God had judged the world in 1980 I was a clear atheist and rejecter of any kind of belief in God and in Jesus Christ. I'd be separated from Him in hell forever. And I'm sure many of you, uh, if God had judged the world 10, 20 years ago, many of us would have been separated from Him forever. And so God is allowing evil to run its course and being the sovereign and all-powerful God He is, even using it to accomplish His purpose. It doesn't thwart God or keep him from accomplishing his will he uses even evil and our suffering to bring about his purpose and his will but at an appointed time it will come to an end well let's take some of your questions here and remember if you got a question uh, email me at pat at evidenceandanswers.org pat at evidenceandanswers.org and we'll field your questions on a future show we'll try to answer them now here's a couple questions we had here pat you explained the origin of evil but how does that explain other kinds of suffering, such as natural disaster that kills thousands of people? Right, there's two kinds of evil. Moral evil, which free creatures inflict upon one another through their choices. And there's natural evil, typhoons, tsunamis, tornadoes that may cause tremendous amount of damage and loss of life. Well, we know that in the Bible, sin, the, when Adam and Eve sinned, the ramifications of that not only had a great effect on us as humans but also on the entire created world as well and the effects of sin has permeated throughout the natural world and Romans 8 verses 19 through 22 speaks about that it states for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth unto now. And so what you see in tsunamis and tornadoes and earthquakes are the residual effects of original sin. Sin has affected mankind but also all of creation as well and so the redemption that God brings we see in the Bible is not only the redemption of mankind but of creation itself so it's the restoration of man and our relationship with God but also the restoration of all creation which suffers from the effects of sin there so we live in a fallen world in a fallen system which one day is also part of God's redemption plan. And we see the beautiful new creation that awaits us when evil is once and for all defeated. Next question here. This is a pretty tough one here. If God is all-loving and powerful, why does he allow children to come into this world with severe physical defects, live a life of meaningless suffering, and die? You know, I was asked this question at a debate by an atheist. And I first turned it, uh, on my atheist friend and I said I'm gonna ask you to offer us what is atheism's message of meaning and hope to these kinds of children that are born with severe physical defects 
what is your answer and message of hope? And the atheist was kind of quiet there. And I said, well, here's your message, all right? You're an accident. We are all accidents of just natural causes and chance, right? And ultimately, our existence is meaningless because there is no ultimate purpose for our existence. We live a meaningless life, and then we are extinct and annihilated. So ultimately, our existence is meaningless. Your existence is meaningless. You're just a flaw of nature, a flaw of the Darwinian evolutionary process. Your life is ultimately meaningless. Your suffering is ultimately meaningless. And in the end, you'll be annihilated and extinct anyway. All right? I said, that's atheism's answer. What is pantheism's answer? Well, you must have had bad karma in your previous life. You must have been a really bad person. That's why you're born with all these defects, and you're going to suffer. And guess what? you get to do it all over again, all right? That's pantheism's answer. And so he kind of looked at me and, and he said, well, then I'm asking you, you know, I asked you, what is your answer? And I said, this is my answer. I said, what do you mean that these children who are born with these physical special needs, what do you mean they live worthless lives? What do you mean by that? In the Bible, we learn more from suffering than from the good times. And James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of all kinds, knowing our suffering produces character and character hope. We learn more from our suffering. And I said, who says their life is meaningless? I learn more from those who have overcome such great odds than those who are born with everything given to them. I am more inspired by people like Johnny Erickson Tata, a quadriplegic, and her powerful testimony. Nick Vujicic, you know, a guy born with no arms, no legs. I enjoy reading biographies. There's a story of a preacher in Japan who has no legs and his wife has to carry him around on her back. We all learn a lot from that. I mean, we are tremendously inspired and enriched because of people like them, all right? An inspiring message that they have to give. And those of us who encounter people with special needs, right? We are transformed and changed forever in very powerful and positive ways, which uh, really there's no other life lesson we could have learned in any greater way than taking care of someone uh, with special needs. You know, I know a man who adopted three special needs boys. And I tell you what, he wouldn't trade it for the world. And any parent who has, tell me the same thing. They wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. His two children, man, they are so mature. They have learned not to be selfish, to be giving, to take care of their three brothers with special needs. They just came out terrific, learning how to sacrifice. The whole family has had to learn how to sacrifice and care for the brothers. If anything, they have been transformed in powerful and positive ways. I have seen grandchildren moving back from the mainland, moving back home, giving up great careers to take care of their grandparents who have very special needs at that time in their final days. And I'll tell you what, grandchildren taking care of their grandparents learn powerful lessons, right, that no book or anything else can teach. You know, taking care of their grandparents in their final days with their special needs, the transformation that occurs. We lose that sense of selfishness. We learn how to give every day. I know a couple 
who have two sons with MS, you know, the Rogers family, good friends of mine. Uh, I've interviewed them. Go to evidenceandanswers.org and listen to my interview with them. They have two boys with MS, and the doctor told them, they said, you know, the kids, when you give birth to them, are going to have MS. You may not have them around for more than 12 years. Do you still want to have these boys? And both times they said yes. Now, boys have passed 12 years old now, but you know, there were several times as their organs began seemingly to shut down. The older son needed a heart transplant and they thought they were going to lose him several times and they've had to walk with him through some very difficult months where they thought they were going to lose their son to go through all and watch, you know, I'm watching them go through this tremendous amount of pain seeing what their boys are going through at such a very young age. And when I interviewed Jill and Randy, I said, you know, you had the choice of not bringing these boys into the world, but you brought them in and there are days you suffer tremendous heartache seeing the suffering they go through and you as parents probably suffer more than them. You know, and I said, is it worth it? Would you do it all over again? And guess what? Every parent I've talked to, like the Rogers says, absolutely, absolutely we'd go through it again because it's all worth it. We've experienced the love of God, the love of others, what it means to sacrifice and to give, the incredible ways we've grown as a family, grown to love one another, grown to love God. We could have never learned in any other way. So if God exists, if the Bible is true, then there is meaning in our suffering. These children born this way do not live meaningless lives. And guess what? When this life is over, guess what? They live in glory forever with Jesus Christ. No longer in a position where they have to suffer any of their physical defects anymore. They're in a state of eternal perfection. Death, sickness, suffering has been overcome through Jesus Christ. They're there in their resurrected, glorified, perfect bodies for all eternity. I mean, think about it. How long is our suffering here upon this earth for what we have to look for in all of eternity? When we were little kids and mom and dad brought us to the dentist, most of us probably cried because of the torture that we would undergo for five or ten minutes. And we cried and we, and we thought it was the end of the world. Well, we look back on life now and say, look, I've got 50, 60, 70 years of having good, healthy teeth. Those five, ten minutes in that dentist chair of suffering was nothing, was nothing compared to the lifelong, you know, health that I have because I have good teeth from the dentist. Those five, ten minutes crying in that chair of suffering, that was nothing. Well worth. In fact, I look back now and I think it was pretty silly crying in there thinking it's the end of the world. Those five, ten minutes I was in the dentist chair. Well, that's a tremendous message of hope that only Christianity offers. That our brief time here upon this earth is filled with trying times uh, where we battle against evil and suffering, but those are just a few moments compared to the weight of eternity that we will spend forever with the Lord. And so that's why I say Christianity offers the only meaningful message of hope, which atheism and pantheism cannot offer here. And I think we'll close today with the final question that atheist asked me. He said, well, how do you know that's not just wishful thinking? How do you know that's just not pie-in-the-sky kind of thinking? And I said, I know because of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a historical event. There's powerful, compelling evidence that Jesus Christ was a real person who lived a miraculous life, who died and rose again. That's just not wishful thinking. That is a historical event in which is backed up with compelling and powerful evidence. And he asked me, well, how do you know that? 
And I said, I said, I thought you'd never ask. And I got to go in and defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about at a future show. In Christ, we have a God who came to this earth, suffered along, you know, entered into our fallen world, suffered alongside with us, died and rose again, assuring that what we know about our life here upon the earth, that it's brief and that there is a glorious future that awaits is not simply wishful thinking, but is truth based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Christianity offers the most reasonable answer and the only meaningful answer to the problem of evil and suffering. Well, thanks for being with us on this episode. We hope you'll be with us every week here. If you miss uh, any one of these shows, you can go to the Honolulu Christian Church YouTube website or my YouTube website and see past shows. And I also invite you to go to my website there at evidenceandanswers.org, evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen to interviews from some of the top scholars from all over the world on subject of God and evil, God and faith and science, Buddhism, Islam, and a whole lot more, all right? So if you've got any questions, you know, email me there at pat at evidenceandanswers.org, pat at evidenceandanswers.org, and we'll address your questions here on Question of the Week. Aloha. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through our Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website, once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharan. Yeah.